my friends. Welcome to Faith FM. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith and contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Good afternoon. I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia, and I'll be your host for this program. Welcome to the program, wherever you may be joining us from. I want to invite you to put our Faith FM giveaway number into your phone or to write it down on a piece of paper, because later in the show you will want to SMS us on the number for our free giveaway book. That's right, our free giveaway book, and the number that you need to record is zero four triple eight eight zero eight eleven zero four triple eight eight zero eight eleven you cannot wait to get the free giveaway that we're going to be offering so take that number down and be ready when we give you the code and the name of the book this week we are following the theme the bible growing spirituality and the place of prayer and today we are discuss- discussing the question Crisis prayer, does God always answer? And I know you're going to love this particular topic because, yeah, do we really know that uh, God answers crisis prayer? Does he answer it all the time? And that's what we're going to be getting into. To guide us through our discussion today, we have a bit of a switch. Uh, We're joined by our regular host of Drive Time Big Q&A program, Pastor Gary. He is the minister of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide and in the beachside suburbs. Gary, good afternoon. G'day, David. How are you going? Fantastic to be able to come and be with you and uh, and be sitting on uh, on this side of the desk. Uh, it's it's look it's wonderful, isn't it, Gary, to um, be on air like uh, we do on a weekly basis. I know I really enjoy uh, joining you. Uh, I must say my uh, stress levels go up when I'm sitting in the host chair because it looks like I'm uh, got a NASA control panel in front of me. But you handle it so well. Ah, David, look, we just need to multiply skills, and uh, that's the that's the objective of this uh, this whole process. So, Gary, really what you're saying to me is uh, I've got the L plates on. Uh, no, 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 David. What I'm saying is that you are such a capable person that, uh, uh, you know, we, I, I, I really uh, appreciate it when somebody else can actually do the hard work yards. And, and Gary, um, I'm going to ask you in a, in a very short minute, um, you know, you've had many decades in pastoral ministry at various levels and in various places in New Zealand, I believe, and across Australia. Um, for the number of decades that you've been in ministry, there are certain passions that I've noticed about you when it comes to the Bible and spirituality. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. You're certainly very logical in your process, the way you work through things, the research you do. But a couple of weeks ago, we had a convention um, where we had uh, hundreds of people, a couple of hours north uh, east of Adelaide and uh, an annual convention and I was in a four-wheel tent and directly behind me of all people here is Pastor Gary with this uh, flash um, pop-up uh, I don't know what would you call it Gary uh, a, a pop-up a camper trailer that uh, certainly uh, first time I'd ever put the thing up but uh, uh, certainly uh, took me uh, a considerably more than the uh, expected time to put up I mean it seemed to me Gary and not only on the put up but the pack down oh, yes. uh, when when you're trying to um, uh, 
pack it all down and, and take it away. I remember it was late in the afternoon. And I thought I've got to be- admit I was muttering just a little bit there, David, towards the end of uh, end of that. But I do think I've got the system now. Well, Gary, I must say it's a pleasure to know that you're a man of human frailty, not just of great professionalism like we see on this show. And so it is wonderful to have you join me uh, and uh, even switch sides of the fence, so to speak. So, Gary, um, what is it after so many decades of ministry? What are one or two things that you are so passionate about when it comes to the Scriptures and the Word of God? Yeah, David, look, you know, to, to me, one of the, uh, I suppose to me, I cannot believe that, you know, almost four decades have passed now since I first started uh, ministry way back in the, uh, uh, in the early 19, uh, 1980s. Uh, I, I still remember my, my, my very first uh, church out there in central uh, Queensland. Uh, what an amazing place and an amazing experience that, uh, that really was. Uh, but you know, David, the thing that really stands out to me is the way that ministry has actually changed. Uh, certainly, uh, over that uh, that period of uh, of time, uh, I know myself today. One of the the challenges that I really love um, uh, building uh, and and looking at uh, is the whole subject of uh, well, we actually call it biblical apologetics. Now, apologetics, of course, is the defence of the Christian faith, and uh, I know I've been to a number of conferences uh, where uh, that subject has certainly been dug into because increasingly what I'm conscious of today is that we are functioning within a, a religious environment where dealing with uh, significant questions and re- being able to provide reasonable responses is something that uh, I find is... Uh, <laughs> There are many who are struggling with it. In fact, I know that, uh, you know, each time, and I really enjoy preach, um, uh, sharing particularly to, you know, university age, uh, young people. And I've had a number of churches where we've had a, uh, a number of, well, a good number of university age students and being able to present to that particular age bracket. Because to me, faith is not some, faith to me is evidence based. Uh, it's not, faith can never be blind. If faith is blind, uh, then faith is not biblical not, not faith, faith because biblical faith actually has considerable substance to it and uh, to me it's understanding that substance that's actually so so important and it has to be tan- it has to it has to be relevant has to be rational and gary um i guess i want to invite any listener wherever you're listening to whether you're in your car whether you're out exercising or at home or you're listening to our uh, drive time program Program or any of our Faith FM programs across the Faith FM network right across Australia. If you want a, to, to, to worship or to hear messages that are rational, that are relevant, that are meaningful for the times in which we live, then uh, get on the internet, look for your local Seventh-day Adventist church, yeah. and I'm sure you'll be blessed. Yeah. And I know, yeah. Gary, in your local church, uh, every every so often you sort of tell me how many people have been in your church on, on a Saturday, and the numbers uh, in. In, sorry, the numbers. Um, I really appreciate it, David. You know the the, the sheer fact that uh, what uh, what is occurring is that more and more people are asking incredibly significant questions, and they are looking for answers. And certainly, myself, uh, I, I suppose the older I get in ministry, the more convinced I am is that as preachers of the word, we actually do need to be responding in a relevant manner uh, to the issues that are in 
impacting our society today. And what I was trying to get to there, this is what builds church. And the church is the people, and I know in your church, Gary, God is really blessed by increasing the numbers of people that come and worship, because I know they're going to have those answers. They're not going to be just out of your head or your own thinking, but they're going to be from the Word of God. So if you want to find a church that does have a reasonable faith, that does uh, provide answers to the questions that the world is asking, then look up your local Seventh-day Adventist church, and uh, we'd love to see you at one of those churches on a Saturday morning. Uh, it's now come time, Gary, for our World Watch segment, and um, uh, something that is in vogue of late is uh, the coronation of King Charles. Did and you did you watch it on Saturday night, uh, Gary? I can say hand on heart that I did not. You did not. I did not, and the reason I didn't is uh, is an interesting one. I have um, just come back a day or two ago from Cooper PD and Udnadatta, right there, just below the centre of Australia and um, the northern part of the state of South Australia. And Cooper PD, about half the people live underground. Mm-hmm. It's the opal mining um, capital of Australia, if you like. And then 200 kilometres northeast of that is Udnadatta, a town of about 150, 180 people and about 400 dogs. Wow. And uh, I was there ministering with our minister up there yeah. and his wife Saturday evening in Udnadatta and um, seeing what life is like in a very, very remote Did community. Did you stay at the Pink Roadhouse? No, uh, I didn't. Um, I've stayed there before and, and uh, for our listeners, um, why not send us a text message if you've ever been to the township of Udnadatta, 04888880811. Let us know your thoughts on the Pink Roadhouse. Uh, it was fully booked, Gary. There was a, a wedding on a local station. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the roadhouse was booked out. Wow. So we got to stay in some local government or indigenous um, uh, housing, mm-hmm. uh, the three of us, and that was an experience. But um, God really blessed, and we had an incredible time Saturday night with with um, some indigenous uh, Christians and a, a lady, a Caucasian lady, who and her husband, he was not there, but she was, who uh, came to worship with us. We looked at a story in the Gospel of Mark. Bartimaeus, and um, she was of Baha'i faith. Wow. And uh, we were praying, and she joined in, and we promoted that uh, strongly, the Word of God and um, uh, and the Bible as a source of salvation. And, Gary, this is what I want to talk to us about with the World Watch segment. And so I didn't, but did you watch the coronation? Yeah, I did, actually. I, I did, myself and, and my wife. We uh, we spent uh, uh, Saturday uh, Saturday evening watching the coronation. It was It is impressive. You know, it, it, it certainly, the POMs certainly do uh, do that well, don't they? So in your household, Gary, I imagine there's a whole lot of uh, monarchy and uh, no, paraphernalia no, no. and all those little spoons no, in a box. Banned, I've actually banned that from my house. But I, I do have to admit I have uh, incredible uh, esteem. Uh, I mean, for what uh, for what the uh, the monarchy does actually uh, stand for and for the uh, some of the, well, dare I say it, uh, nonsense they get thrown uh, through the media, uh, I have to admit, you know, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's an amazing institution. And look, I guess we've got the blessing of a Westminster parliamentary system, yeah. uh, which uh, I think, by and large, we are blessed to have. So, Gary, um, seeing that you're a big fan of the coronation and you and your lovely wife stayed up and watched Glue-Eyed, 
uh, to this event while I was out ministering and saving the saving souls, Gary. Um, the article I want to read from is from a website called Christian Today, uh-huh. and the article is entitled "The Problem with King Charles's Coronation Prayer." And uh, it was written by Julian Mann on the 10th of May. So it was written today. Okay, okay. It says, King Charles's prayer before the Westminster Abbey altar at his coronation signalled a major change in the Church of England's doctrine of salvation. The established church's teaching is that faith in Jesus Christ is necessary for eternal salvation and that people cannot become regenerate or born-again children of God by faithfully following their non-Christian religion. Article 18 of the Church of England's 39 Articles of Religion of obtaining eternal salvation only by the name of Christ makes a strong statement against the idea that a person can achieve salvation by being a good Muslim, a good Sikh, or a good Hindu. Uh And this is what it says. They also are to be had a curse that presumed to say that every man shall be saved by the law or sect which he professeth, so that he be diligent to frame his life according to that law and the light of nature. For Holy Scripture doth set out unto us only the name of Jesus Christ, whereby men must be saved. And this is directly from the the Church of England's uh, Articles of Religion. It then goes on, the Church of England also officially teaches that a person cannot be saved by being a good Christian. Article 11 of the Justification of Man declares, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merit um, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works and deservings. But King Charles's prayer before the altar was explicit that people of every faith and belief can justly be called children of God and thus achieve salvation. That's concerning, mm. isn't it? Mm. It is. It is. And it goes on. Uh, this is his prayer. God of compassion and mercy, whose son was sent not to be served but to serve, give grace that I may find in thy service perfect freedom, and in that freedom knowledge of thy truth. Grant that I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief, that together we may discover the ways of gentleness and be led into the paths of peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In his 1994 BBC interview with Jonathan Dimbleby, the then Prince Charles made clear that he aspired to be defender of faith rather than defender of the Protestant Christian faith. He effectively got his way through his prayer before the altar. Readers should not be deceived by the thy, there as if this was ancient liturgy. It was King Charles's innovation, and the fact that his prayer was offered through Jesus Christ our Lord does not detract from the alteration to the church's teaching about salvation that it signalled. King Charles did swear, as his mother did in 1953, to maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law. But in an article in the Telegraph on May 7, against all odds, the king has proved himself a true defender of the faiths. Columnist Charles Moore was quite right that King Charles succeeded in making bold changes to the coronation service. Moore wrote, as plans were made for this coronation, there was some official embarrassment about the oath. The very word Protestant is now falling into disuse. It sounds almost antagonistic. It certainly does not embrace Catholics or show the slightest interest in wider religious belief. Church and state were nervous, however, about formal change. Hmm. 
and it basically says the eventual compromise was keep the oath but surround it with the church equivalent of small print, tactfully hinting it is not as bad as it sounds. The king's prayer was part of the surrounding small print, but the spiritual direction it signposted is not small. The spiritual consequences for the church of embracing the multi-faith agenda are significant. If the church starts saying that people can be saved without calling on the name of Christ, that very arguably takes the urgency out of evangelism. And so, so Gary, um, what are your thoughts in regards to this? Yeah, David, look, this is an absolutely huge one. In fact, later in the year, we're going to be spending an entire week on this particular subject because, to me, this is so central. You know, right now, we're actually seeing huge changes happening right through the entire religious world, not just the Christian world, but the religious world. Do you know, one of the things I'm just so conscious of is that within the Christian church, there has actually always been a belief, and it's actually based on Acts chapter 4, verse verse 12, where Peter is actually talking, he says, nor is there salvation in any other. Uh, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And of course, uh, you know, in, in today's language, uh, Paul, uh, Peter is being horribly exclusive. But, you know, David, the thing that I'm conscious of is that uh, that belief is the thing that empowered the huge Christian missionary movements. Now, of course, in in ages past, uh, you know, the Christian church sent out missionaries, you know, right across the uh, the world to every inhabited land. Uh, why did they do that? Because they had this belief that said there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is one way uh, to, uh, to to salvation. Now, you know, I mean, hey, uh, how are we to regard that uh, in a world uh, that is in Increasingly preaching, you know, unity and diversity. I'm going to come to that one in just a, in just a moment. You know, David, I'm I'm just so so conscious that uh, I uh, I believe that if in fact we're going to be biblical Christians, we can only but accept what the great apostle uh, Peter is saying. We can't, is, we can't change it. We, we can't, can't water it, it down. You, you can't change it. Well, what's my, I mean, do I, do I love others? Of course I love others. My love reaches out to them and says, hey, there's a way to salvation and uh, it's actually revealed in the word of God. Uh, and, and that to me is so, so core. You know, in, uh, increasingly what I, I am hearing through the religious world, and I actually did attend at one point the World Parliament of World Religions, not because I agree with what they're actually coming from, but because I believe there was so much uh, fulfilled prophecy in that uh, in, in that particular uh, grouping. But there was a, a major meeting over in Melbourne a number of years ago. I, I attended that, uh, but the, th- the common theme was unity in diversity. And yet what a lot of people don't actually realise is that within the Word of God is uni- uh, unity and diversity taught. Well, yes, it is. It's actually taught big time on subjects like, for example, spiritual spiritual gifts. How how are we to impact our world for Christ? Well, through a multitude of spiritual gifts. That's and we're going to have unity amongst diversity. So it's certainly taught within the Word of God. But not in this context. But that's the issue, is that within the Word of God you also get limits 
placed on uh, unity in diversity. Diversity is not open slather. Um, unity is something that is done between the believer and Christ. And, uh, you know, I mean, Peter's very clear here. Uh, can I be united uh, in heart and mind and thought with somebody who is, has not accepted Jesus Christ? Well, what the Apostle Paul Peter said is that there's no salvation in any other. There is no other name given amongst heaven by which we must be saved. Well, the Apostle Paul even went as far as to say about the gospel, if somebody else comes to preach another gospel... Let him be a curse. Let him be a curse. And so, Gary, what, what, what Peter said there, and even Paul, wasn't politically correct in their day, and w- nor is it today. And yet, this message, there is no other name uh, under heaven by which men and women can be saved, is is a very ex- exclusive um, mantra. It's, it, it, but, it, but it is inclusive and that involves everyone can take part in it, but there is only one way for salvation. That's the exclusivity. The, the way I like to say it when I'm actually talking often to uh, on this subject is, God is boss, not you. God is boss. He is the one that says how salvation is occur is to occur. You know, I, I, I am I am frightened today when I see a huge number of, and it's not just Christian denominations that are coming together today. Uh, we've got you know denominations, uh, world religions who have multiple gods. I mean, uh, for example, uh, if in fact I am going to pray uh, to the God of the the Hindus, which particular God am I actually going to be of, praying of for? Of the thousands, which of the thousands am I actually praying to? You know, it, it's, the scriptures are abundantly clear here. There are some things that are actually anathema in scripture, and this is one of them. Look, Gary, and as I mentioned on Saturday night, I was uh, ministering amongst some indigenous people with a wonderful lady of the Baha'i faith that that was serving the community and had done so for two years in Udnadatta, and yet the Baha'i faith, and I've got some other. Uh, a close, a fairly close friend that is Baha'i, but essentially they incorporate or absorb all religions. Indeed. Uh, that cannot fit with Scripture. Exactly. Exactly. Gary, we must go to a break, and uh, we're going to go to a break, uh, listeners, by listening to Marletta Fong, Precious Lord, Take My Hand.
Welcome back. That was Marletta Fong. You're listening to Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor David Butcher as host and Pastor Gary, um, uh, our coordinator and, and program director for Drive Time. Welcome, Gary. Uh, it's good to be back again, David. Gary, we have uh, a wonderful offer this week. Our theme for the week is the Bible, growing spirituality and the place of prayer. And uh, our topic today will be crisis prayer. Does God always answer? And for me, prayer is one of those things that is often neglected or overlooked or it's an add-on to the Christian life instead of something that is really foundational and something that should be foundational. And so our giveaway for today, uh, if you have pen, if you have paper, if you have your phone, our free giveaway, you need to text uh, a message, an SMS to zero four triple eight. 80811. That's 04888-80811. The book is Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst. And uh, the offer is SA118. SA118. So text to our line 04888-80811. And um, in your text message, put SA118. And the book is Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst. And um, this book, Gary, is, is a small little book, so it's an easy read, but uh, it gives us the essentials of prayer. Every chapter is, is power-packed full of different themes of prayer, praying for others, praying for yourself, praying for besetting um, temptations or sin, praying that all-important prayer of giving one's heart to Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to encourage you as our listener if prayer is not a, a staple in your life, if prayer is not a significant part of your daily and hourly existence, uh, then I want to challenge you to 
consider prayer in a different light. So send us a text, 04-888-80811. The offer you need to put in your text message is SA118 and the free offer, the incredible little book, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, Gary, it's on that note that um, our theme for this afternoon's study, and thank you for, for leading us in this, is actually called um, Crisis Prayer, Does God Always Answer? And, and Gary, as I hand over to you, I'm reminded of um, of the words of a disciple in Luke 11, verse 1, where it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Prayer is essential. And here is someone and all of the disciples grew up knowing how to pray. But when they heard Jesus pray, one of them says, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't know how to pray like that, he's basically saying. What is it? So, Gary, um, lead us away. Crisis prayer, does God always answer? Yeah, I think this day one, David, is a really key one. You know, it's so often that uh, uh, one of the biggest challenges we face is that uh, prayer is something that occurs particularly in times of crisis, you know, where something impacts our life and bang. And uh, the question we want to deal with today was, uh, hey, is does God always answer crisis prayer? And, of course, this the answer to this is far bigger than what uh, many people actually realise. You know, what I want to do today is actually just take us through a, a Bible study. It's actually Matthew uh, 14 going into Matthew, uh, Matthew 15. Uh, it, it's a remarkable, well, Matthew 14, probably the end of the, the the end of that chapter. It's uh, it, it's a remarkable story of something that occurred in Christ's life. You know, we pick up the story actually in uh, in Matthew chapter fourteen, and it's uh, it's verse uh, verse thirteen, and this is actually the story of the feeding of the five thousand. This is an absolutely remarkable story. You know, most biblical commentators actually uh, talk about uh, Jesus' ministry started almost in a, in obscurity. He calls a few disciples to him, the crowds start to come to him, he starts to heal people, he starts to, um, uh, he gets the acclaim of the people, he starts to put the Sadducees and the Pharisees in their place, mm. uh, and then finally his ministry gets to a peak, uh, but then after that peak, he starts to lose people until finally he's at the cross and all you get is three women standing at the, at the foot of the cross. Now, what a lot of people don't realise is that that peak of Jesus' ministry is actually found in Matthew chapter 14. This is significant, isn't it? This is really significant. This is the top. This is when Jesus' acclaim is getting to the, to the, to the very peak of, uh, uh, of his ministry. Uh, do you know, David, uh, here, just, just imagine what's happening here. Jesus has been teaching the people and, uh, uh, you know, it's coming close to the end of the day and, uh, uh, his disciples say to him, Lord, send these people away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, no, no, no. What I want you to do is you feed them. Now, there's 5,000 people here. This is this is an amazing uh, little little story. There's no woolies or coals or anything like that. No woolies, no coals. Even if there were, were Christ says to them in an no preparation. I want you to feed them now. How do you feed 
5,000 people. Now, this is 5,000 men probably. Uh, so we're probably talking 10,000 plus people here. 10 to 20,000. This is a football stadium full of people. David, what's the biggest crowd that you've ever fed? Uh yeah, probably 20 to 30, and, and um, I have uh, invited people home without notice one particular Saturday for lunch. You did It was a very significant day. It was my wife's 40th birthday, <laughs> and uh, I had no reception, and um, let's just say things could have gone better. Things could have gone better. Understandably, say, too, I must and, say. And understandably, too. And, and, you know, many times uh, that is the issue. It takes preparation to feed this number of people. Absolutely. But, you know, Jesus is a, but we get the story here of the five loaves and the two fish. We get Jesus actually feeding 5,000 men, probably 10,000, 15,000 people there altogether with just a small lunch. Now, David, we've talked previously about mountaintop experiences. How would you feel if you had been on that mountain that day being fed by Jesus. If I was a patriot and if I was a passionate Jew, I'd be thinking, um, we have the Roman occupiers here. This man could um, provide us with food when we run out of food if we're besieged. This man can overthrow the Romans. We can take control. We can take control. I mean, we can fight these Romans because if, in fact, one of us gets killed, then here's somebody who can raise them up. Touch their arm, heal their arm, or raise them from the dead. Uh, this, this is the most remarkable way of, uh, of winning a battle you could possibly imagine. This is an ult- the ultimate mountaintop experience. And that's the situation that the disciples find themselves in. And I haven't come to today's story just yet. But, you know, David, I'm so conscious that uh, so many times we go away to a convention, a camp, uh, maybe a spiritual retreat of some some description, and we have this thing called the mountaintop experience. Uh, we come home, you know, all passionate, fired up. Uh, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm going to maintain a devotional life. Lord, I'm going to spend time in prayer with you. Uh, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to, to you totally and uh, what happens it uh, falls by the wayside often and uh, the trials of life and the challenges of life take over and the best intentions go astray and that's exactly right and you know what happens in this story is exactly that is what occurred the, the disciples are on the mountaintop they're about to plummet into the valley like so many of us have plummeted into the valley before uh, what occurs here is is what you actually get is Jesus at the top of the uh, from the top of the mountain says to his disciples look I want you to take your boats and I want you to go across the sea meanwhile Jesus, uh, the scripture records, uh, goes and uh, starts to, uh, he actually spends his e- the evening in prayer. But he sends the disciples to the other side of the lake. Now, while they are in the process of going across the lake, something happens. Now, uh, the, the, the story, the record of the story is that Jesus, uh, or, or rather the, the disciples, are totally distressed. Uh, the storm just becomes so great. If you like, they're facing troublous times. Now, you know, to me, how significant was this troublesome time? Well, David, to me, uh, the at least a number of these disciples were fishermen by trade. They knew how to manage a boat in a storm. 
all of that. They knew exactly what to do. They knew when to put the sails up. They knew when to put the sails down. They weren't afraid. They had faced many. You know, there's a huge difference between the layperson and the tradesman. Uh, you know, the layperson may well be able to do a good job at fixing his home, but it's when he gets into trouble that he calls in the tradesman. Very true. Because it's a tra- – you know, what do you do, David, when you get in trouble? Uh, you look on uh, you look on YouTube and you find out what you need to do to fix the situation and your spouse will often say, listen, let's call a plumber or let's get a proper electrician or let's call the carpenter in. And that and yeah, that would just prove that you have a very wise wife. <laughs> and maybe that my handyman skills could, could be better. <laughs> but David, uh, these disciples, you know, when they're out there in the lo- in, on the lake, they're facing troublous times. They're putting that sail up. They're letting it down again. They're rowing as hard as they can. And they're doing everything that's humanly possible. I imagine that they are even praying. No yeah. doubt. And, yeah. and in their mind is no doubt too, why didn't Jesus, why didn't he take control there, you know, feeding the 5,000? So there would have been some doubts perhaps, there would have been some disappointment with that, but now they're confronted by this situation. And, and you know, David, the thing that I'm conscious of is that troublous times seems to impact all of us. You know, I'm just so conscious in my years of ministry, you know, you get troublous times, maybe it comes in the form of relationship problems. Maybe it comes as a result of, uh, you know, a health issue. Mm. Maybe it comes as some financial uh, matter. Uh, You know, maybe it's unemployment that hits me. You know, it just seems that in the world in which we live, at some point, you haven't been down life's journey very far if you haven't faced troublous times. Every individual or family is touched by something. They are. They are. And that's, and you know, that's what these disciples are actually facing. They're facing troublous times. And it's at the troublous times that they start praying. Now, if I was the disciples and I was facing a a huge storm, what would I be praying? Well, if it was me, I'd probably be saying something like this, Lord, calm this storm. Calm this storm. Stop this storm. Or or maybe... Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Pick up this boat supernaturally and dump it on the uh, on the shore on the other side. Perhaps that one would work, you know. Mm. Uh, Lord, please get me out of this uh, problem. You know, I'm so conscious that I've, I've spoken to so many people where they have prayed. You know, they've been facing troublous times and they're praying this prayer, Lord, please get me out. Of this trouble, please rescue me from this uh, from this issue. But to me, the thing, David, that really jumps out at me about this particular story is what Jesus actually does, how he answers their prayer, and uh, uh, maybe maybe we come to that one um, after uh, after after a break. Yeah, great. Let's go to a, a song, and this is by Caleb and Kelsey. I need thee. Peace. 
Welcome back to Faith FM and Drive Time. You're listening to Pastor David and Pastor Gary, and we're looking at today the Bible growing spirituality and the place of prayer, but in particular our topic of the hour is crisis prayer, does God always answer? What a compelling and critical question. But I want to invite our listeners, each one of you, to uh, take out your phone or a piece of paper, grab a pen or start sending a text message to us for our free giveaway book and the text line number is 04 808 that is 04 808 and uh, our giveaway book is Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst and uh, in your text message to 04 888 80811, you need to put the following code for this offer, and it is SA118. SA118, an incredible book, Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst, a small book, concise, but power-packed. Uh, and we want you to get that free offer, so send in your message. Gary, you were talking to us uh, about what is occurring here in Matthew 14 and the significance of um, uh, of uh, the feeding of the 5,000 as Jesus' high point. Then there's a low point. He sends the disciples away to go across the lake or the sea in a boat, experience fishermen, many of them, but they get into a storm. And they're, and they're caught in the storm that so many of us are also caught on. You know, I think it's significant, actually, David, what Jesus is doing while the storms occur. Jesus is actually out on the bank there and, and of course, he's gone away simply to pray. You know, David, I, I look at that and I sort of, um, I suppose increasingly uh, I am more and more convicted that Jesus took prayer with a level of serious seriousness that seems to escape even many uh, Christians in our contemporary world. I mean, how do you find it? Look, I often think, Gary, prayer is an afterthought uh, for many people. It's like just a rote thing or a... Uh, just a ritual, uh, and even in churches, people may want to hear the Word of God preached, but prayer is often just an add-on at either end of a program or an event, yeah. rather than a lifeblood. Yeah, yeah, and, and yet here, this is exactly what it is for Jesus. But these disciples, they're now facing stormy, they're facing troublous waters, uh, they're in the middle of the lake, they're using all their human effort to get out of the trouble on the lake. And, and they rely on their experience as fishermen. They rely, they're, they're doing everything that you would hu- be humanly possible to do. You know, they've just come off that mountaintop experience and suddenly they get thrown into uh, what is, uh, well, I'd be looking at this as a total disaster. Now, look, David, look, tell me something. These disciples, what had they done to deserve troublous times? Nothing. Uh, and I don't know if this is a trick question. Uh, I guess they had expected so much from Jesus. They thought that he would do many, many different things. But it's probably what they hadn't done. They hadn't really grown their faith in Jesus. They hadn't really begun to trust him. They were looking at Jesus through their own earthly eyes and expectations rather than really learning to rely upon God. But what, you know, to me, I like the first answer you gave, actually. what had, I tried to what, cover all my what, bases what, there. What had they done to deserve troublous times? Well, Your first answer, I believe, was actually the correct one. They had done absolutely nothing to deserve troublous times. In fact, by whose command are they in the boat? 
Jesus told them to go to the other side of the lake. These guys are doing exactly what Jesus says, and all of a sudden what they're facing is incredible trouble. Now, So the believer can expect that there will be trials and troubles in life, even if they are people of faith. Exactly. And that's the point that I think that this this whole story makes certainly for, for me. Do you know, sometimes I, I hear people think that, hey, I come to Jesus Christ and then uh, once I've come to him, you know, it's all going to be smooth sailing. Well, I'm sorry, that's not exactly the way that these disciples found it. Uh, they were in, uh, they didn't, they'd done nothing to deserve troublous times and yet they got it. And they're in the command, and they're in the ship at the command of Christ. I've got no doubt when they were in that ship, uh, they prayed, they used all their human strength. Uh, you know, I'm just so conscious. David, I say it again. If we don't have some listeners today who aren't facing very real challenges, I will be incredibly surprised. And I'm talking relationships, I'm talking finance, health, health. There are so, these are issues. There is a theology out there uh, that says, you know, it's called the health wealth gospel. Or prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Once you come to Jesus Christ, these things will never happen to you. Well, I'm sorry, that's not biblical. And so this can be a real faith challenge to believers, can't it? When we're hit by a crisis. That's it. That's it. Now, David, the thing that stands out to me about this story, of course, is that Jesus does actually come to them. But, uh, and we find this in Matthew 14, verse 25. And it's really worth reading this, uh, this particular story. But the thing that I love is that Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. Now, what time is the fourth watch of the, the ancient Roman watch? The fourth watch? What it's, time is that? Yeah, you're testing me today, but it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The first watch started at sundown, Mm. went to 9 p.m. The second watch, 9 p.m. to midnight. The third watch, midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch from 3 a.m. to sunup. Now, David, uh, if I am praying to God, Lord, please get me out of trouble, when would you like him to answer your prayer? Instantaneously. <laughs> Absolutely instantaneously. This is at three o'clock in the morning. You know, Jesus, he comes, there's an answer that occurs, I would suggest, at the most unexpected time. And Gary, verse 23, talks about when evening had come, Jesus was alone. So Jesus sent these disciples into the boat prior to darkness, it right. would seem. Yep. And so they're on, been on the water somewhere between um, six to no, eight to nine hours. They've been on the water. And look, David, I know the challenges that I faced in my life. Do you know when I pray, Lord, get me out of this difficult circumstance? You know, I'm I'm an impatient person. I really, I, I never I, noticed. I, you've never noticed that. I'm an impatient person. You know, if I, you know, if I'm praying, Lord, please respond to me now. Uh, look, I really would like God. I'd really like that prayer answered. Now, I do not want to wait till three a.m. in the morning. No, and this is one of the challenges. We're living in a fast-paced society where we can get answers at the click of a button or supposed answers. And does prayer really work? Does it work in crisis? And this is the issue that we're going to come to because Jesus comes to these disciples at the most unexpected time. But he does something else. He comes to them in the most unexpected manner. You see, what you find in this story is that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, hey, if I was praying, 
Lord, I'm facing this incredible storm. Please, please get me out of the storm. What possible answers do I have in my mind? That I'll suddenly be lifted out, uh, up out of the boat, uh, or the boat will be lifted out, or the storm will cease. The storm will cease, that somehow supernaturally I'll end up on the other side, that I'll have a dead calm there. And on another occasion, Jesus actually does that. But on this occasion, he doesn't do that. The storm actually continues. Which is interesting. So as Jesus draws near, the storm does not cease. It does not step. It continues. But then Peter asks a question to Jesus. Now here's the test again. What was the question that Jesus asked, that Peter asked to Jesus. Yeah, Peter says in verse 28, he says, um, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Ah, you said something there, very, very important. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you. Now, what's that? It's it's doubt. It is an element it's, of doubt because they thought he was a ghost walking on water. Ghost. Yeah. Lord, if it is you. Now, let me ask you something, David. Can the Lord do anything for somebody who doubts? Ah, silence. I like it when I get silence because that means that uh, uh, that you've got to think. You know, it's interesting. The man that was lowered through the w- roof by the four other individuals, the Bible says, he, you know, it was the friends, their faith. Indeed. Indeed. And, you know, in this case here, I look at this, you know, Lord, if it is you, is Peter a doubter? Yes, he is a doubter. Mm. Is God going to do something for someone who doubts? Yes, yes. he is. He is, you know, to me, I think this is the most encouraging story because, uh, you know, uh, you know, on another occasion, you know, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. unbelief. You know, that's a powerful passage of scripture. You know, when I, when I read that, when I read this, I say, hey, there's hope for the Thomases of this world. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, uh, well, actually, you know, uh, the reason the Lord hasn't acted is because you don't have enough faith. And that is like a wound to the heart. And I've been at, at people's deathbeds when relatives have said that to them. Exactly. If only you had faith. A- and that is, again, another unbiblical belief because here we've got the great apostle Peter. He's expressing doubt and yet Jesus is about to do something for Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You know, I, I love, you know, uh, Jesus just simply says to Peter, come down. And he comes down, and the scripture then records, Peter walked on water to go to Jesus. Do you know, to me, that is an incredibly beautiful thought because Jesus didn't come those storm that that, that that storm Jesus simply told Peter get out of the boat come here let me hold your hand and we're going to walk on water so you know, so there's some doubt there but but Jesus wants to test that doesn't he he says step out in faith step out in faith have a have a go Peter what I want you to do is I simply want you to take my hand do you know sometimes in prayer, what I am conscious of, particularly in troublous times, the answers to prayer can be incredibly surprising. Sometimes what I've discovered from my ministry is that Jesus doesn't always turn and say, hey, look, um, this, um, uh, this trouble, I'm going to still this trouble. Sometimes what he says is, take my hand, I want 
to I want I want you to walk on this stormy water with me. And sometimes Jesus doesn't turn up on time, at least our time. I think of the story of Lazarus. Four days, four days. Yeah. And this, these are the issues that, uh, to me, uh, you know, faith comes by hearing. It comes hearing by the word of God. You know, faith is grown. You know, does a person, you know, I, I read of Hebrews chapter 11. You know that, David, to me, Hebrews chapter 11 is such a powerful passage because I read of all the wonderful things that people of faith did. But then the second half of that chapter, I read, what, but others, others were Tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might receive a better resurrection. Do you know, can I provide every answer to every faith question? No, I can't. I oh, know I can't. But do you know, David, that is where faith does actually kick in. Is there evidence to faith? Yes, there most certainly is. Are there questions that I can't completely answer? Yes, there are. And Jesus, no doubt, on the mountain while he was praying, while they were in the boat, he was praying. But some of that prayer would have been praying for his disciples. Yeah, yeah. Jesus will pray for us. The scriptures tell us that uh, in Luke. Uh, Jesus will come to us, but it may not always be in the timing or with the answer or in the, the way it happens that we may be seeking. Indeed. But he has our best interest at heart. Gary, if you were to sum up in, in 30 seconds, what would you say? Uh, look, look, uh, what, what all I'd be saying here is, look, uh, please, uh, are you facing troublous times right now? The answer is, the answer I believe is, you know, for many people is yes, there are troublous times out there. Uh, does Jesus always calm the waters? He has that ability and sometimes he does that. I have seen that occur. But there are other times uh, when he just simply takes your hand and he says, hey, I want you to walk on this stormy water, but I will hold your hand. Let me pray for our folk. Father in heaven, Lord, come to you right now. I want to say thank you for being the almighty God, the God who gives uh, us power to be able to walk on stormy water. Lord, thank you for, uh, for promising to support us. Lord, if there's anybody right now who is struggling in some way, maybe with a health issue, uh, maybe with a, a relationship, a financial issue, Lord, I just pray that you might be with that individual. I pray that you might bless them, that you might guide in their lives. Lord, these things we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Gary. If you want that giveaway book, that free giveaway book, send us a text message on 04 888 888 and use the code SA118, SA118, Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst. Well, our time is up for today. Thank you for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary. Um, as we've looked into what we've looked into, a prayer in crisis, does Jesus answer? Tomorrow, join us again as uh, Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan join us as they look at um, is prayer the easy way out. That's tomorrow. We really look forward to seeing you, but until then, please remember Christ said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.